Welcome back into the Lions 24-7 podcast, our final episode before we get to a Penn State football game. The next time you hear from us will be post-game podcast edition after Penn State versus West Virginia late into the night, early into the morning, Saturday to Sunday as we make that uh, transition uh, with our weekend coverage now, uh, week after week after week. We're going to be with you on Saturdays with the post-game podcast. And then here on Thursdays, you can expect a preview of the upcoming matchup. If you missed our Tuesday episode uh, this week, we spent a lot of time with Chris Anderson, who covers the West Virginia Mountaineers for 24-7 Sports, gave us the, the lowdown on what's going on for Neil Brown coming off a of 5 and seven season, a lot of pressure on him in year five with West Virginia to right the ship. Not an easy task to do that in week one as a three-touchdown underdog on the road in Happy Valley. We'll give you our picks for score predictions, players to watch. We have some bold predictions to throw your way each week as well here on the podcast. And a little bit later, we'll talk about the recruiting ramifications of returning to Beaver Stadium for a game day atmosphere. Dozens of prospects on the guest list, including several on committed targets that we're going to get to with Tyler Calvaruso later on the show. But let's begin by bringing back in Mark Brennan and Daniel Gallon. And gentlemen, it's August 31st. We hit the practice field August 2nd for, for the first session of preseason camp. We were back at the practice field on Wednesday night for our final look at the Nittany Lions before they're out there in uniform on Saturday night. So we've got a lot to discuss here, but unfortunately, uh, some sad news to pass along, and, and I'm sure everyone's aware of it by now who follows Penn State closely, but Landon Tangwall, former top 100 overall prospect in the 2021 recruiting class, a guy who uh, has been a mainstay in this uh, locker room as a young emerging figure, lift for life leader. Um, unfortunately, his football career is done uh, as a redshirt sophomore here in Happy Valley. We've talked about his absence from the practice field throughout the month of August, dating back to that first week of preseason camp. He's a guy who was involved all during spring ball, working his way back from an injury in 2022. Unfortunately, announcing on Wednesday night that he has got to retire due to medical reasons. Didn't get into the specifics there. Uh, we'll, we'll, we'll let that, uh, that privacy play out. We're not going to be the ones to bring that into a public forum. But Lennon Tangwall, done as a football player at Penn State. From everything we gather, not done as a Penn State student athlete, not done contributing to this program in a positive manner. James Franklin on Wednesday night referenced some potential pathways toward a professional career in football, whether it's strength and conditioning, coaching, recruiting. We can tell you, Lennon Tangwall has been on this podcast more than any prospect or player in the last five, six years. Um, so I think our listeners, and I know we have a pretty good feel for who Landon is, he's going to be okay without the pads, but let's face it, Mark, this sucks because it's a player that, that had high hopes for his own football future. I know he was fired up. He was on the podcast a couple times this off season to get back out there and, and be a force for this offensive line. Uh, and unfortunately that's not going to happen. JB Nelson's going to step up. We'll talk about what the offensive line does moving forward, but you're losing not just a key component of your 2023 roster plan, but Landon Tengwall as a redshirt sophomore, I mean, we thought he might end up being a guy who started 25, 30 plus games for the Nittany Lions by the time his career was over. Yeah, it's almost hard to believe how young he still is. And I, I know uh, you talk about how often he was on the podcast, but we've been covering him, you know, forever. I remember, I forget what year it was at the Penn State camp, 18 or 19 maybe, you know, right in that area. And I remember uh, it was at the team camp. And I remember being at the IM fields for the uh, for the passing camp and then hustling over to uh, the, the outdoor field near Lash Building where the big man challenge was going on. And you get there, and you're trying to get the lay of the land and who's who and, and what's going on. And I see a former Penn State uh, grad assistant and, and, and who was working somewhere else at the time. And I said, who do I need to look at here? Who do I need to look at? And he immediately points to Landon. 
And I'm like, whoa, look at this kid. Well, it turns out he had just finished eighth grade. And you know, this guy's like, this, this kid just finished eighth grade. And he's like killing it in every single test. He ended up being the big man MVP at that camp. And for even added perspective, uh, you know, I've been bringing the intern to shoot camps forever. And uh, I call her over and I say, Grace, th this kid is two years younger than you. <laughs> she's, a, she's a senior in college now. But, you know, it's, you know, I'm joking about that part of it, but that's the reality. You know, a kid this young not being able to play. But you touched on it, Tyler. This guy is going to be a success in life. And it, it, it sucks that, it, that, that being able to play football is not in the cards because I think he could have been a big-time player. Again, we forget how young he is, but you, you've talked to him. I've talked to him. I, I was, I think, the first person to interview him. I actually did it over Twitter back when he was 14 years old, and I was, like, a little nervous because he was so young, but he was already carrying himself so well. And mm -hmm. you can see that this guy is going to be a success in life, whether it's it's as a football coach or a businessman or whatever. One of the other cool things I just I'm going on a little bit here, but he he meant a lot to our site, as as you said, and and, and was here and we've covered him forever. I went to a couple NIL events and to see the way this guy carried himself as a leader, as young as he is, getting up and addressing crowds and telling his, his, his fellow teammates where to go and what to do, and, and that's what I'm talking about. This kid has success written all over him, and it's not going to come on the football field as a player, but he is going to achieve it in whatever, whatever he decides to do. So best of luck to Landon, and I really hope that we're able to keep dealing with him I hope that, that that he's able to find a nice niche, and I'm sure he will with the Penn State football program over the next few years. But he's going places. He is definitely going places. I did a little more follow-up with Tangwell's situation Wednesday night coming into Thursday before our show here. And what I've gathered is you, know, you go back to the recruiting conversations, one piece of advice that I think is very important, and I remember Landon Tangwell uh, uh, pointing this out a couple times during his recruitment. He had Notre Dame. He had Michigan. He had Penn State. He had everybody essentially uh, down in Maryland coming out of high school. Um, and, and he talked about the fact that if football is taken away from you and, and, and you cannot play the sport, will you be OK with the with the program you're within? Will you be OK with the school that you're at? If that part of it's gone, you're not practicing, you're not playing games, the NFL future part that's out of the door. Are you still in a good spot for you? And it sounds like it, it's a home run situation right now for Landon Tangwell from that regard. It's, it's the best case scenario from a worst case scenario, I guess. If you're left without football, a lot of people would feel like an alien on, on a college campus and feel like they didn't fit in. It sounds like the support system has been great for Landon. I know that the love uh, that, that was expressed by the players and then the coaches and just general the Penn State community on Wednesday night resonated well within the Tangwell household. But I think moving forward, we are going to see more of Landon Tangwell. And James Franklin, just hearing from a Wednesday, he knows it's a good thing if, if Landon Tangwell is wearing that Penn State logo in some capacity, even if it's not on a helmet anymore. If it's on a polo shirt, that still works well. He's going to be a good ambassador, and he's going to take care of business here at the university. Daniel, we're, we're going to switch uh, subjects here in a second and talk about the on-field aspect of everything here and the impact, but any comments to share as, as we kind of you know address what we had to address here to start off the show? I think that hearing from some of his teammates last night was very telling. Um, Malik Mega, Adisa Isaac, Keaton Ellis, um, you know, three team captains. You know, they were all asked about uh, Tangwell's retirement. And you know, they all said that you know, he means a lot to this program. Uh, both Mega and Ellis talked about going to Guatemala uh, for a charity trip. 
uh, in May. And that was an opportunity for them to really get to know him and bond with him. Um, and they said that, you know, they, they love him and that there's, there's still a space for him, you know, within this program that, you know, they know that he might not be on the field anymore, but he'll be around. And I think that they also talked about how uh, successful he's going to be. Um, but, you know, I think that everything that you guys said about Tangwall, even in my very short time um, being around the program and, you know, not covering his recruitment or anything, you know, I think that all rings true. I mean, I think, you know, I remember Tangwall uh, back in 2017, 2018, because, mm-hmm. you know, it was hard to miss him. Uh, you know, I was living in Philadelphia, uh, but, you know, through being Penn State adjacent at Penn Live, um, you know, I'd see his name pop up you know, following along with things uh, in like the DMV, uh, you know, I'd see his name pop up a lot. And, you know, I think your the- alma mater was the first to offer. <laughs> uh, I, think, I think like a month into his freshman year, that was Tyler Bowen, a former Penn State assistant who was the offensive line coach for Maryland back then. Yeah. So, I mean, he's someone who's, you know, who's been on my radar, but I think the one thing that when you talk about his, his character and, you know, the way that he carries himself, the thing that stands out to me is, you know, I remember in, in 2018, you know, Tangwall went to school in Montgomery County at Our Lady of Good Counsel, but he's from Anne Arundel County uh, in the Annapolis area. Um, in 2018, uh, there's the tragic shooting uh, at the Capitol Gazette um, down there. And, you know, I knew people who were you know close to it and involved in it. And, you know, I was scrolling Twitter that day or the next day and a tweet from Landon popped up, you know, with him expressing condolences about how he remembered that. Uh, one of the women who died was the first person who ever interviewed him. Um, and so, you know, I saw that and that's 2018. So that's after his freshman year um, of, of high school. So, you know, I think seeing that, you know, back then, um, you know, that was something that kind of stood out to me because, you know, when you're covering recruiting, you know, you've got a lot of tweets from teenagers coming across your timeline and, you know, you get to a certain point and you kind of start to tune them out a little bit, but, you know, to see that from someone that was so young um, in that kind of situation that was, you know, so raw um, and really traumatic for a lot of people. Um, I was just like, Oh, okay. Like this kid has a, you know, very good head um, on his shoulders and, you know, to see him end up at Penn state and, you know, still following along with him. You know, I thought that was really cool. And, you talk about this NIL stuff, the personality he has and, you know, putting himself out there, you know, I'm really not surprised um, by any of it. So, you know, it's a, it's a very sad situation. Um, and yeah, it, it almost feels trite just to be like, you hate to hear something like this, but there's really no other way to put it. But I do think that he's someone who is well positioned for success, um, you know, with whatever comes next for him. How long ago? I mean, it's three years on campus, but how long have we known about Tangwall? To your point, Mark, I remember that day we were working for different companies at the time. We both came away writing about a rising freshman in high school in Landon Tangwall. And on that same day, though, a rising senior at Harrisburg High School named Micah Parsons was the <laughs> seven-on-seven tournament MVP. So we've been talking about Landon Tangwall and talking to Landon Tangwall <laughs> for a long time. That won't stop now, but let's talk about the offensive line because Landon Tangwall was a, a formidable piece there that we anticipated coming uh, into August. Uh, certainly going to be at the forefront for that, that left guard competition. We knew JB Nelson was going to be involved there as well. Wondered out loud coming into August. Will we see a rotational setup like last year with Norzad and Tangwall that entered September instead. Now focus shifts to JB Nelson being your first team left guard. And, and we'll talk about some of the ramifications for that uh, across the offensive line. But Mark, uh, it's been weeks now that we've been banging the drum at lines247.com about JB Nelson 
being a very notable figure within this Penn State offense. I identified him as my under-the-radar pick in our roundtable series, so I just feel like not enough Penn State fans out there are identifying who this guy is, and that's going to change in a big way Saturday night. But before we get to that point, I mean, the feedback has been phenomenal. We've got to see it come through in game action. He's got a four-game sample size at the Power 5 level since jumping up from the JUCO level. He was considered one of the top junior college prospects by 24-7 sports in the 2022 cycle, but we got to see it here. Um, But everything here about the practice field going up against this defensive line has been maybe the nastiest of the bunch, a guy who knows how to utilize those 330 pounds that he's reshaped and transformed over the past year and a half. Uh, And additionally with J.B. Nelson, we heard this full, knowing full well that he might not be a starter, but a member of, of, of the staff there told us NFL talent. And to hear that before a guy has actually gone out there and proven much in a Penn State uniform, all that stuff resonates with me. But now we got to see what it looks like when the curtain comes up because this guy is in the spotlight. And we were hearing these things before Landon got 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 yeah. hurt. I mean, and that's the you know, that, that this isn't people just, you know, you know, blowing sunshine. It's 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 they, they were legitimately talking about it. And, and I think something you have to really consider is how fortunate were they to get J.B. Nelson you know, another Lackawanna kid. And then how fortunate were they be, to be able to still redshirt him? So now you still have him for this year and next year. And when you think about not having Landon, you know, realistically speaking, he was going to be a fixture in your offensive line for for, for three more years probably. And just from a practical perspective, yes, your heart goes out to him that he's hurt and we and, – and, 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 we wish nothing but the best for him. But when you look at the, at the ramifications on the team and the, the development or maybe lack of development of certain players, and I want to be careful because we're talking about college kids here, but to have this kid come in and, and be able to make an impact at this level kind of this quickly and then ha- having been able to redshirt last year, I think all that has worked out well. So. I mean, we had somebody on the board asking, you know, how is, is J.B. Nelson going to be okay? Yeah, he's going to be okay. It's just going to be a little bit different role. And, I mean, that's going to be the key for him. Is I, I think they were probably looking at this as J.B. Nelson being a guy who could come in at multiple positions as a backup and, you know, kind of that utility knife. And, and, and now he's going to have to be the guy at that tackle spot, you know, Guard spot, yeah, 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 at the guard spot. I'm sorry, yeah. So uh, what I was getting at is, where does that make a difference? Well, now you're not quite as as deep as maybe you would have hoped to be a tackle, and now a guy like Venga is going to have to maybe step up and play more inside. So these are all the little things that are also coming into play. The biggest, the biggest thing is we all wish the, the best for Landon, but realistically yeah. speaking, they have a game on a couple days from now, and they have to have all this stuff in order. They're trying to go to the college football playoff. They're trying to get to Indianapolis first for the Big Ten championship game. And along the way, they're trying to build on that incredible momentum on the offensive line from 2022. And you got to do it a couple years in a row before you can fully put your feet on the bandwagon and say, this is just the new narrative for Penn State's offensive line. This is who they are. You can I make see one them point? back it up. Yeah, can I course. make one point? And, and I thought, and I'm sorry, I should have made this earlier, but you you asked a question about J.B. Nelson. Uh, was it last week? I forget when it was. These things are yeah. all kind of going together. And Franklin's like, you know, I'm going to take my the, the approach that I've taken with the offensive line. I'm going to let his performance speak for itself. And that's kind of, when he says that, you know, and I think it was the same thing with Caden Wallace. When he's saying it about that about some of these players about the on the offensive line, He's, he's pretty confident in what that group's going to be able to do. 
there's two names I think that that kind of you bump up in in in, in your review of this offensive line now that you got to be more aware of uh, whether you're a fan or an analyst. And it, they're both freshmen: Javen Williams at tackle, Anthony Donka at guard. You mentioned Venga Yoane. His role may be impacted because he's a guy that if you find the need to rotate out JB Nelson. Or if for some reason you feel the need to still play Jamie Nelson at tackle, Vengo Ioane is a guy who's got experience at all three spots on the interior on the practice field, but really been focused on the right side, trying to push the lean warmly. We expect to see Vengo Ioane in game action probably as early as this Saturday with some kind of a role. But uh, in terms of those freshmen, Anthony Donka now is essentially your number two at the left guard spot. Now, we'll see if Ioane becomes a Drew Shelton type figure, like Shelton's that swing guy tackle. He can go left, he can go right. Does Ioane become your, your essentially your plan B on the left side and on the right side? And if not, Anthony Donka all of a sudden as a true freshman, a 330 pounds. He looks phenomenal at six foot five. I've talked about this since he showed up in January that he was one of those you know, eye test guys that just jumped off uh, the field for you every step of the way, whether it was winter conditioning, spring ball, showing up around prospect camps. Anthony Donka looked like he'd been around the program for three years based on his physicality. And James Franklin shed a little bit more light on why they're encouraged by Donka, who, who, as I said last week, still in his regular uh, number on the field. And part of that is because Tangwall's absence. And part of that is because he's impressed at guard. But he's a guy that showed up to every single camp opportunity last year. I mean, we saw him at every single camp. Uh, Alex Birchmeyer came to some. Uh, so did Javen Williams. Cooper Cousins did. Donka didn't miss one. You know, maybe that maybe some of those guys, other guys didn't. But James Franklin says, you know, you come up, you make that three, four hour drive with your parents and you spend that time with uh, Phil Troutwine six separate times. It's going to do something for you. It's going to bring you to campus a bit more advanced and, and maybe understanding the anticipation uh, in place for you. And, and so Anthony Donka is a guy to watch. Uh, I, I, I hesitant to say he is the number two left guard. That's where he's, you know, he's been working behind JB Nelson, but we still got to see what that pecking order looks like. And then Javen Williams, I just don't really see how you can necessarily lean on J.B. Nelson as a tackle figure right now because of what you've got to rely on him at guard. So you look at that left side, it's Olu Fashionu. Set it and forget it, preseason All-American. But, you know, things happen. They did last year. What happens behind him? Drew Shelton's the obvious answer. He's also on the right side with Caden Wallace. But then J.B. Nelson was kind of that proposed third player that we saw on the practice field step up at left tackle. And you think, oh, if Drew Shelton's needed at right tackle, then J.B. Nelson's your next man up at left tackle. All of a sudden, Javen Williams, five-star prospect in last year's cycle, a January enrollee, uh, he's becoming more important. It goes from, oh, it would be nice, it would be a luxury if he were uh, in a position to win that fourth tackle spot, to now you're saying, you, know, you really need Javen Williams to go up and claim that fourth tackle spot. And I saw Phil Troutline coaching him very closely. We also saw Chimdi Ono, another freshman at left tackle yesterday at practice, working there. Ono's been on both sides. But Williams, I think, really comes to the forefront right now, a guy that you don't necessarily – want to imagine you'll need to rely on this year, but you need to be prepared to play him. I think you got to find some ways to get him involved in game action over the course of September, uh, because right now it just looks like he could be that fourth tackle and you utilize that guy for five starts last season. So you got to be prepared. Daniel, what do you have to throw our way on the offensive line? I know, I, I know I just kind of laid it all out there. <laughs> no, I, I think when you talk about Donka and Javen Williams, I think if, if you were to make a two deep where you can only put, one person at one spot. Um, I think that they would both, you know, be on it. I think that, you know, the way that the numbers are and with their own performance, they're in kind of that top 10, uh, you know, now you can move parts. Um, I remember I asked Phil Troutwine about this last year, because I know that, you know, philosophically there's some offensive line coaches that don't want to move guys around on the line. If someone has to leave because 
you know, that means that, you know, really you're replacing two positions um, instead of just one. But, you know, he talked last year that, you know, that they train these guys to be flexible, that they want them to have this versatility. And so that if they have to move someone around in a game, they'll be ready to do it. So, you know, who knows what that looks, what that means for Donka and Javen Williams in terms of getting, you know, onto the field, you know, what happens in front of them. But I think they're both in positions to potentially contribute if Penn State needs them to. I mean, you know, you see Javen Williams out there on the field and, you know, he looks like the the five-star recruit. Uh, you know, he's built. You know, he looks like, you know, he, he passes the eye test, uh, basically. Um, and then with Donka, you know, I first saw him in person uh, last March uh, in a camp in Baltimore um, and under Armour camp. And, you know, he was very impressive that day. I think that there were some other bigger names there. He was a little bit of a late riser on the on the recruiting front. Um, eventually earned that fourth star from us. Uh, but you know, there are some bigger names, but you know, he really stood out. You know, I was very impressed by him. And then you know, talking to him after camp um, and just being next to him, just how enormous he was, um, that was very, very striking to me. Uh, he also told me to drive home safe, which a recruit has, has never told me to do that uh, at the end of a conversation. But you know, I think the fact that he came to those camps last year, he got that extra exposure to Phil Troutwine, um, I think that put him in a really, really good position um, when he enrolled early. So, you know, I think I was a little bit surprised, you know, to see him last week in his own number. Um, I thought I had kind of put him in my mind as someone that, you know, stash away a little bit, get that development. Um, but I think that's one that that I missed on uh, in that assumption. So I think that that bodes really well for Donko, you know, for Williams. Um, you know, I think that this offensive line group is really talented. Um you know, if Penn State needs them, it seems like they will be confident putting them onto the field. But I am curious what it kind of looks like in between in terms of sliding guys around and, and mixing and matching a little bit. Another interior name is Redshirt Jr. Nick Dawkins. I'll just throw that out there. We think he's going to be primarily focused and really stick at that second centered spot. He's a guy that could use some game reps as well after missing a big chunk of time last season with an injury. Uh, but he does have some experience at the guard spots. But again, that, that's I think that's more of a maybe an emergency situation if you start to really dwindle and you got to really start to shuffle things around. But uh, that's where they are right now on the offensive line, uh, less than 60 hours away from kickoff in Beaver Stadium. And let's talk about the depth chart. You talked about uh, what, what the offensive line depth chart might look like right now, Daniel. Uh, we put together our entire projected week one depth chart at lines247.com. This afternoon, shortly before recording the podcast, we had one out midway through preseason camp based on what we were hearing, based on what we were seeing. We had one out back at the end of spring ball. Same kind of deal. So this is our our, our best effort at this point to, to lay out the, the foundation of what we think Penn State football is going to do with its players on offense and defense against West Virginia. We just talked about the shuffling on the offensive line. Mark, when you review this, you're the one who put it together. I know you had the insight from each of us, but what kind of was your takeaway and how this step chart maybe looks a little bit different than it did going into August? Yeah. I want to be clear that I, I, I cobbled it together. I physically put it together. Everybody <laughs> pitched in and you know, one thing I did want to say is I find it comical that I don't know if you guys have followed what's gone on down at Alabama where Nick Saban decided to not put out a depth chart and you know, the world is about to explode and old news around here. Why, yeah. why does anybody <laughs> care? Number one, Covering Penn State for all these decades that I've covered, the the initial depth chart was always the worst. The official initial depth chart was always meaningless. They basically just put every single person on there in order of seniority. 
So to be able to actually do something like this, is this going to be perfect? No, but this is going to be way more accurate than, than some official depth chart you would have gotten to start the season. I can tell you that. And that's not Good patting point. ourselves on the back. I think it's just being – we're being a little bit more uh, objective. But, you know, it, in terms of the things that that stick out to me, you know, we, we already went over the offensive line. One thing that I would say about the O-line, I think they're viewing Donka as a guy who is the most ready to play – of the freshmen, but I think they're viewing Williams is the guy that they might need first, you know, potentially how, how things Mm -hmm. may play out. If that, if that makes sense, but I think those are clearly the two guys from that class who, uh, whether they're officially green lighted or not, they're going to be the guys who are in their regular jerseys on the practice field are traveling to all the way games. They're going to get them ready. And if they have the luxury of red shirting them, great. If they don't, uh, you know, that's, that's fine too. But, you know, just looking around, I think what jumps out to me, the depth on the defensive line. I mean, we didn't really make a lot of changes on the defensive line from our preliminary one. But, geez, the more I look at this thing, I just think, wow, are they absolutely, you know, I I don't know that there's like outside of chop. I I don't know. I don't even want to say it because there are all American type players up there. And I just think the level of depth. Going into the offseason, you know, I think a lot of us were looking at this as question marks. And to see the way some of those interior guys have gotten bigger and stronger and more physical, uh, I just think that area really jumps out to me. And then, you know, we're, we went back and forth a little bit on the safeties about who the starters would be. And the gut feeling that I'm getting, that I, that I think we're getting, keeping our ears to the ground, is that it'll, it'll probably be K.J. Winston and Jalen Reed, but again, Keaton Ellis is a guy who started every game last year. Mr. Consistency, going to get it done for you. And Zachy Wheatley, you know, take away King. So you have four just really, really good safeties. So when when, when putting this together, we're kind of tr- trying to go going off, keeping our ear to the ground, what we see in practice. But some of these are that we have wars on. I mean – these guys are all going to play an awful lot of football. Yeah. So on the defensive side, that's kind of the stuff that, that stood out to me. I don't think we made any radical changes over on defense. No, I don't think so. I, I was probably just going to note that I expected to see a couple ors on this step chart come September 2nd than, than what we're getting. Uh, I thought we'd see one at right tackle still. Doesn't yeah. feel that way at all, right? Uh, it, it's Caden Wallace's job, and if he loses it, he loses it. But right now it feels like it's his job. And and that probably means the second series we're going to see Drew Shelton rotate in now. But I think Drew is the that. second is the two. I I think the reason he's, yeah, he's for a, that, it's not a one and one a yeah yeah is that I think Wall I think Walls has played extremely well and has elevated his game. But I also think Shelton is flexible enough to play either side that that he will be the first man in on both sides yeah. there. And again, I think that goes back to what we're talking about with Javen Williams. That you know ideally. You don't have to play him, but you know if you do, you're going to have to, I guess. Kobe King was the other one. I figured he could maybe work his way toward maybe the top of the oar uh, and, and with Tyler Elston, but there's been a separation there over the course of this 2023 year and intensifying in August. So really, I'll have more on Kobe King a little bit later as we get to some of our uh, player-specific uh, questions ahead of uh, kickoff. Hinting. But <laughs> and and I just Zion Tracy, not a guy I expected to be on the green light, not a guy I accepted to uh, expected to really. 
be paying attention to all that much on the depth chart going to September. We are, uh, you know, it's been more than his speed. He's proven that through preseason camp. So curious what him and Ellie Washington can do over there. And Andrew Rapier, I'll just know we're going to have subtle changes like this probably every few weeks on our depth chart as we go week to week, as we keep tabs on this team. And just to, to, to note this, we had Rapier with an or as Penn State's uh, number five tight end with Joey Schlafer coming into camp behind Jerry Cross. Now just showing a little bit of movement there from what we've heard and seen. Andrew Riappoli, top two, top two, four, seven tight end prospect in the last class. Now at the number four tight end spot, we've got him ahead of Jerry Cross, who's a redshirt freshman. We've got him ahead of his fellow freshman, Joey Schlafer, and behind Khalil Dinkins, Tyler Warren, and Theo Johnson. Again, not always just the two deep, but what we're going to try to do is really give you a, a good indication of how the trajectory is shaping up for some younger members of this roster. Daniel, uh, obviously this has been a day-by-day -day kind of of keeping our finger on the pulse with Penn State. Parts of this may get blown up in front of our faces in Beaver <laughs> Stadium as we watch from the press box no. on Saturday. But I'm just curious. I'll, I'll pose the same question I did to, to Mark. Anything different to you maybe looks a little bit different going into September versus maybe coming out of the spring or, or going into August? Well, Mark didn't put the or at quarterback, so I think we're going <laughs> to we we're, we're gonna ride there even, even without an announcement yet. <laughs> um, but no, I, I think that we saw things shake out a little bit more nicely than I think maybe we expected. Um, you know, like you guys mentioned with kind of expecting to have more oars um, at this point at right tackle, um, you know, at, at the Mike linebacker spot. Um, you know, I, I think that it shows that, you know, who has kind of stepped up where guys have really been able to make gains this off season. Um, and I do kind of think once we get in there, um, into the season that these guys I, I really do think have the potential to really hold on um, to these spots a little bit more you know I think last year we saw you know that Mike linebacker spot you know the rotation go through the whole season you know we saw that left guard spot spot last year rotate you know through September um, you saw the right tackle spot rotate for most of the season um, with Bryce Efner and you know I think some of that has to do with you know, guys behind working their way and, and earning their way in, into that spot, into those spots and into that playing time. But, you know, I do, it does feel like this is a very, you know, solid depth chart, you know, from where we're sitting right now, you know, we'll see how that changes Saturday. But, you know, I think that, you know, it shows, you know, who has really taken some steps this off season, you know, with the season about to kick off. All right, well, the season kickoff is just about here. West Virginia heading to town. We spent a lot of time with Chris Anderson on our episode Tuesday, breaking down the Mountaineers from his perspective down there in Morgantown. Obviously, a program and a head coach facing a lot of pressure in a different way than Penn State's facing pressure of their own. And, um, you know, 730, prime time. This looks like a great opportunity for Penn State to kickstart things in front of a national audience. Uh, but you never know. It's week one. It's college football. You got to see it to believe it sometimes. So, Mark, as we prepare for this, uh, what initially stands out to you as some obvious, I, I guess, obvious strengths for Penn State, keys to success for them that you think if they can follow that path, it shouldn't be too much of a of, of a concern in a game that they're leading or in a game that they're favored by three touchdowns as of Thursday afternoon. Yeah, I mean, don't turn the ball over. West Virginia was one of the worst teams in the nation in turnover margin a year ago or turnovers caused. Uh, but I think the only way that that West Virginia is able to stay in this game is if Penn State keeps it in the, in the game. And from everything we've heard, you know, throughout camp, the ball security has been uh, a real positive uh, for Penn State. I think being able to exploit that defense, you know, everybody to me is, is saying, 
you know, ease in with Drew Aller. You don't have to put a lot of pressure on him. I don't know. I look at his defense that was that was the worst passing defense overall in the Big 12, and I, I think this is like – I think this is a great opportunity for Aller to come out and, ju- and just really look good and for them to show that they have the confidence in him to get it done. And, 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 and you know, clearly that that's not suggesting that you shouldn't get Singleton and, and Catron Allen the ball or Theo Johnson and the tight ends of the receivers. But, but, but I think this would be, is just a great opportunity. You know, everybody's like, Oh, you know, he could ease his way in. No, don't ease your way in, go in and, and, and let it loose and give every other opponent on, on your schedule that much more to think about. Show that this kid's ready for prime time, literally. I mean, he's playing at prime time. Show that he's ready for it because I think he is. So I w- if I'm in Penn State shoes, and I know that's a scary proposition if I were calling the shots, uh, but I would not hold anything back. I think you're looking at a, a defense that really struggled against the pass last year, and this is a great opportunity for a young quarterback to go out and make a statement. There's a lot of questions about this West Virginia defensive line as well. They lost some talented pieces over the last few years. They lost their starting nose tackle, Jordan Jefferson, to LSU via transfer. And uh, Daniel, I hear what Mark's saying, but to me, I also think uh, first time for for Drew Aller, it's going to be the adrenaline pumping, I'd imagine. I think early on makes a lot of sense to ease into this season by leaning on those sophomore bell cow running backs, this offensive line that you have the faith in let the game come to Drew Aller, as, as James Franklin said it. I, I know where Mark's saying, if you get some evidence of these bombs that he can drop, that's going to do wonders for you as defensive coordinators try to wrap their head around you moving forward this season. But in my opinion, it's okay if he doesn't get the 30 pass attempts this game. And, and really for these first few matchups of the year, look back at how the, the recipe went last year with the 5-0 and stretch. I don't think Sean Clifford threw 30 passes in any of those wins now we're all talking about, well, look, it's not Sean Clifford anymore. It's Drew Aller. Let's embrace it. We got this big six foot five, 240 pound uh, baller with a big time cannon arm. Let him unleash it. I think you pick some spots here, but in my opinion, it makes a lot of sense to let Catron and Nick Singleton land some haymakers early, get West Virginia back on their heels, and then let Drew Aller start to dissect. Daniel, where do you stand on this? And what do you think about the Nittany Lions defense in this matchup? Yeah, I think when it comes to Drew Aller, I, I I think the one thing that we've heard about him is that he has a lot of poise, that he's not going to be phased by anything um, that, and you know, James Franklin keeps bringing up that Purdue game uh, last year when talking about it. Yeah, I think the flip side of that is we talked about this through last year with Sean Clifford, where it was kind of like, you never knew what you were going to see on those first two series because he was regarded as that fiery guy. He had the adrenaline, um, in some of those bigger games, it really did seem like he came out um, a little jacked up and then would would settle in. And He was like a know. box of chocolates. <laughs> <laughs> um, you never know. Exactly. It was, is it going to be good Sean or bad Sean uh, in the early going? Um, so I don't think there's going to be a, that same kind of split when it comes to Drew Aller. Like, I don't think that there's going to be good Drew and bad Drew, especially early in the game. I think from what we've heard about his demeanor um, and everything, I I don't think that there's going to be moments that are too big for him or moments that he's going to really, really get caught up in. So, you know, I think from that perspective, I think I might lean a little bit more with Mark um, in terms of, you know, take some shots early, don't be afraid early. But at the same time, I think that you're in a really right position to assert yourself early. 
um, and, you know, really, really set the tone with Katron Allen, with Nick Singleton, um, and, and really control the game. You know, when it comes to the Penn State defense, you know, I really like them in, in this matchup. You know, I think these past couple of years under Neil Brown at, at West Virginia, you know, just kind of the, you know, you've been, as someone who doesn't pay too much attention to the Big 12, when I think West Virginia, my mind still goes to the Dana Holgerson teams, you know, that were very wide open, air raid, had all these playmakers everywhere. You know, I got to see Tavon Austin play multiple times in college, and that's still, when I think about West Virginia, that's kind of what pops into my head, but it's not like that anymore, and it hasn't really been like that in a while. Um, you know, the offense doesn't quite have these playmakers. You, know, you look at the quarterbacks that they're, you know, picking between James Franklin thinks it's going to be Garrett green um, in the, in the opener. It doesn't really strike fear into you. So I think the Penn state defense is in a really good position to kind of pin its ears back, you know, really attack them, you know, show some different looks, get young guys experience guys that are hungry to make plays, um, you know, in this type of environment, um, I, I think that the defense is in a position to have a, a really, really good game on Saturday night. I know you guys remember this, but it felt like Manny Diaz went about 50 players deep in the opener last year at Purdue. And, and they did have to play like 80 snaps because of the way that game went. But I think we're going to be very busy with our rosters, keeping them handy for this defense over the course of these 60 minutes on Saturday night. Uh, and, and and look, Garrett Green sounds like he's going to be the guy. Um, I know that that you know, speaking with Chris Anderson on our last episode, who knows this West Virginia team well, you know, they think he's the kind of guy who can you know, create a spark. But they're going to need more than sparks in this matchup. They're going to need sustained drives to keep Penn State's offense off the field and to put up points and be able to keep up with Penn State over the course of this thing. Now, Garrett Green, uh, five career touchdowns in his career, five foot eleven. Uh, those are some things that you don't love, uh, you know, coming into your first matchup in Beaver Stadium in this kind of a setting versus this defense. I like the stable of running backs he has. C.J. Donaldson is a, an impressive young player. Um, and, and he could be a key here. You know, I think maybe he's the guy on this offense. It's just that's the problem right now. They brought in Devin Carter, who was committed to Penn State uh, for a little while, spent the last four seasons with NC State. Nice player, big bodied wide receiver. They have some respect for him in this defensive backfield. You've got Rodney Gallagher, a guy that we know well here. He sounds like he's going to get some run at receiver. They're going to try to give him some opportunities against Penn State. But it's hard to identify. And, and like you said, you talked about the West Virginia teams you covered uh, – or you remember, but I remember helping a, a program prepare to face Pat White, Steve Slayton, and, and Noel Devine on this West Virginia team. <laughs> that is not this team. They do not have those weapons right now. And um, so I think a lot, and in fact, too much is going to fall on the shoulders and legs of the dual threat quarterback, Garrett Green. And good luck trying to go to the perimeter against this group of edge defenders. I just don't see you winning foot races. Mark, I think an area we've got to jump on, and I'm, I'm probably – can hear the listeners out there screaming that we didn't do it during the depth chart is what's happening at wide receiver. Uh, who are we going to see out there? When are we going to see them? And I think a big wrinkle on this, uh, in this game is where are you going to see Keandre Lambert Smith and Harrison Wallace? We keep hearing from, from coaches and I had a chance to talk to Keandre about this after practice on Wednesday, he could be in the slot. He could be outside. They want to be able to utilize Harrison Wallace the same way, but I think we can probably expect that more from Keandre Lambert Smith because we've seen it in game action and we've seen it on the practice field and extended looks. 
what does it mean, though, for the rest of the receiver group? Does it mean Omari Evans comes in as the next guy on the outside? Malik McLean has generated some momentum during late in preseason camp. He could be a factor. Dante Cephas, we're still trying to wrap our head around where he factors in with everything right now. And then, of course, Liam Clifford and Caden Saunders are, are biting uh, biting at the uh, chomp to, to get a chance to, to go run routes out of the slot. So you say, well, Theo Johnson, Tyler Warren, and they like Khalil Dinkins. I'm fascinated by just exactly who gets out there how many snaps they get, and then what everybody goes into week two kind of thinking in the coaching staff because I have a feeling they just want to get lights on a lot of these guys. They've seen a bunch of practice reps, but they want to get lights on some of these receivers, and they're going to get it on Saturday, and I think we're going to learn a lot about the group. Yeah, I think the real key is the the, the willingness to move Keandre around because you know it just sounds to me as if they're real comfortable with Liam Clifford and Caden Saunders, you know, and I know those are both kind of prototypical slot type guys. Uh, and, and if you, if you take Andre out of that slot, that's going to give both of those guys kind of more opportunities, but Clifford from everything we've heard has been just absolutely Mr. Consistency. And Saunders is a guy who, you know, we, we've joked about it. You know, the, the coaches got on him for eating too much ice cream last year, but you look at him now he's fit, he's trim, he's running well, uh, still, you know, both these guys still young players. And I think the fact that they're moving these guys around, this is no disrespect to any of the other receivers. I think Amari Evans is going to be, you know, really heavily involved in this as well. But I think the movement of Wallace and Keandre is telling us the message there is that the two guys after them that they're most comfortable with to me, that that it sure seems like that way to me, are uh, are Liam and and, uh, and Caden. And I also think they're starting to to develop a level of comfort with Malik Mega that he's finally right. things are finally starting to kind of to kick, but he's more of an outside receiver. So, I mean, a good thing is you have these three spots and, you know, depending on what personnel groups you go with, if you go with two tight ends, obviously that reduces that. Uh, but there are enough spots there that they're going to be able to get eyes on a lot of these players. And I think that's one of the real keys. So what did we hear coming out of the blue white game from James Franklin? Uh, we saw Omari Evans play really well and James kind of anointed him as that third guy kind of anointed him. But I think what James was looking for was, is he going to step up before a relatively big crowd? And I think now it's show me time for all these these receivers uh, who aren't named uh, Keandre Lambert-Smith and who aren't named Trey Wallace. I mean, I think this is the time for them to step up. But if you were to ask me, I'd say the two other guys they're most comfortable with are Liam and Caden. Yeah, Lambert Smith led this uh, was the touchdown king during preseason camp, and Harrison Wallace may be the most buzzed about uh, player on the offensive side of the football uh, this preseason camp in terms of what he's doing as a physical specimen at the receiver position. Those two guys, James Franklin says, are going to be tap outs. Uh, everybody else isn't going to be in a rotational kind of situation at receiver. And I'm glad you brought up Mega, team captain, special teams getting it done, but another guy who's, who's a figure there. There's so many names here. I'm really curious to see how tight. Uh, Marcus Higgins keeps this rotation on Saturday, or if he really kind of empties out the sidelines a little bit over the course of the game and gets a longer look at a bunch of guys, one of those things we'll be keeping tabs on from the press box. We'll be right back on the Lions 24-7 podcast. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Let's get into our predictions. Uh, first time, we'll be doing this 12 times at, uh, at least over the course of this year on our pregame podcast on these Thursdays. Um, and look, Penn State, again, three touchdown favorite. I'm, I'm double-checking it, 20 and a half right now. So it's, it's been pretty consistent there. Daniel, you're going to be first up. We'll each give a prediction, a player to watch, and then a bold prediction, which is part of our uh, site package at lines247.com. Yeah, I went with Penn State 35, West Virginia 13. Um, I, you know, kind of like I talked about a little bit earlier, talking about, you know, Drew Aller not being phased by the moment. Um, but I think that we'll see Penn State, you know, lean on its its running game early. You know, Aller might not be phased by the moment, but he's still a first time starter in this type of environment going up against a power five defense. I wouldn't be surprised if, if there's some hiccups there. Um, so I think this could be a game that at halftime is, you know, 14, 10, 21, 10, maybe. But in the second half, I expect Penn State to really be able to you know, wear West Virginia down. Nick Singleton and Catron Allen and Trey Potts, um, you know, shouldering some of the load there to open things up for Drew Aller in the passing game. I think the defense, uh, you know, is going to be really, really good. Like we, what we saw, um, you know, down the stretch last year, I think that's going to carry over. Um, my player to watch. Drew Aller. Um, yeah, I think uh, that for first pick, I mean, that's, that's where we'll start. Um, you know, it doesn't, doesn't really need to be said anymore. Um, but yeah, I think that there's, you know, how far Penn state goes this year, I think really does depend on Drew Aller, you know, and what he's able to do, you know, if he's able to raise the ceiling beyond 10 and two. Um, so I think that he's someone I'm going to be keeping a close eye on along with, you know, 107,000 other people uh, in Beaver <laughs> Stadium. Um, and then for my bold prediction, I talked about the defense picking up where it left off. Um, I think we're going to see a lot of sacks. Uh, and I think you look at those top three defensive ends and those top linebackers, Adisa Isaac, Chop Robinson, Deny Dennis Sutton, Abdul Carter, Curtis Jacobs, all of them with at least one sack. That's a lot of sacks. A lot, make a lot of people happy. Uh, Mark, you're up. I see this game going a little differently. I think Penn State's going to burst out to a, to a pretty big lead and then uh, late in the game uh, clear the bench, and, and that's when West Virginia will claw back a little bit. My score, 37, Penn State, 14, uh, West Virginia. I do think Drew Aller is I, – I, I just have a sneaking suspicion. We'll see if I'm wrong that they're going to let – not. You know, I'm not, I'm not suggesting Drew Aller is going to throw it 30 times. But I also don't think he's going to hand it off 50 times either. I mean, I think that they're give, going to give him the opportunity uh, to make plays and to get into a comfort zone. With this West Virginia offense, I just don't, you know, they have a, a veteran offensive line, but it's, I just, again, I look at the depth on that defensive line and who they're going to be able to roll through there through the course of the game. You mentioned Manny Diaz last year playing a ton of players in, in week one. I think you're going to see more of the same. I think it's just going to be too much. Uh, my bold prediction and my player of the game are going to kind of go hand in hand. 
so last year, Nick Singleton had 85 receiving yards. I think in this game, he's going to have at least 75 receiving yards, most of them after the catch. Because I think they want to get this dude more involved in the passing game. And I'm not giving anything away, but we heard some things in practice where he caught some short passes and they're like, yep, that's six, that's six. <laughs> that if, if he's able to get the ball in that kind of yeah. space, you know, just absolutely look out. So, uh, yeah, so I'm, 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 I'm all for Drew Aller, but I think some of the damage he could do is with those shorter throws. And that's the other thing about Aller. I think everybody's like, yeah, he's, you know, this, he's this big arm guy that's going to translate into all these deep passes. His arm strength comes into play on short passes as well yeah. on fades. I mean, we're there at practice, man, and, and he is whipping that ball in. And I mean, it's it, it is it is some impressive stuff to see. Uh, so, yeah. So then my MVP is going to be Nick Singleton because I think he's going to have a good game uh, on the on the ground and through the air as a pass catcher. I think he's going to put up uh, again, 75 receiving yards and maybe 75, 80 rushing yards because he won't be needed for the whole game. All right, I'm up. I'm going to clarify, not not an MVP for the game, but player to watch. So I, I, I'm not picking this next guy to be the MVP for the game, uh, but I'll give you that in a second. I got 38 to 10 Penn State uh, taking care of business in, in week one. I just really don't have faith in West Virginia's offensive arsenal at the skill position and at the quarterback position to be able to deliver it downfield when this game requires them to pass the ball. Um, I think Penn State, the ability to get after the quarterback on on third and distance situations. And again, when Penn State establishes a lead and it's an obvious passing down, uh, a passing scenario for West Virginia, I think the sacks, I think you're coming from the right place, Daniel. I, I don't know who's going to get them, but I think they're going to come in bunches in week one. And if we remember, it took a little while for the sacks to really start rolling through for this defense last year. I think they'll get off to a better start in that regard. Uh, but I, I do think 38 to 10. So not much drama, 220 plus rushing yards. I think um, less than 30 pass attempts for Drew Aller. I said, I think that's your, your balance on offense. Uh, and ultimately I believe that you're going to be some lulls maybe on offense as these guys work, you know, they build chemistry in game. It, it's not an easy thing to just jump in and be, and be, you know, totally smooth on offense. The lulls will happen in week one, but I think this explosive plays are going to happen, and this offense can produce them. And like you said, Nick Singleton, if you can get him in space and make one man miss instead of having to run him through the offensive and defensive line and have to make four or five guys miss and bounce around, that's what you want to do. And I, I do think they're making a concerted effort, not just with him, but a guy like Catron Allen, a guy like Caden Saunders, you know, utilize some of that speed and shiftiness in the open field because you're right, Drew Aller could end up with 280 passing yards, but he may only throw the ball, you know, beyond 30 yards a few times in this game because of how they may be able to do things offensively. My bold prediction here, I'm, I'm going to say that the, the Penn State defense comes up with at least three turnovers that lead to at least three, uh, at least 14 Penn State points. So whether it's a short field, maybe even a defensive touchdown, I just think they're going to do a lot to set Drew, Drew Aller on the doorstep of some offensive success, giving him the ball midfield, giving him the ball in the red zone maybe at one point. Uh, so that's where I'm going. 14 plus points produced through takeaways uh, by a defense that lost their top takeaway producer in Jair Brown. Um, let's jump right from that to uh, our season predictions. We've all got them at one and oh, that's a good start. Uh, and we've all actually got them at the same record. Spoiler alert, Daniel lead us off here. <laughs> yeah. I've got Penn state going 11 and one this year. Uh, when I, when I made the prediction, I didn't really lock in who that one is. Um, but I've thought about it a little bit more. Um, I think that Penn State will go to Columbus and, and lose in a close one. But I think what we saw last year 
you know, the two losses that Penn State had, they responded really, really well. You know, they came out uh, in the whiteout against Minnesota after that Michigan game, and I thought made a, a nice statement about, um, you know, bouncing back from that. And then after that Ohio State loss, you know, you know, some of us thought that they should turn the keys over to Drew Aller um, and, and play out the string a little bit. <laughs> I don't know who who could have thought that. Um, but, you know, we saw Penn State respond and they were really dominant down that stretch uh, to close out the season. So, you know, I think that we see something similar this year where they lose that game to Ohio State, um, but they respond really nicely. And as part of that response, they get by Michigan, um, you know, close the game with, I think that would be five straight wins uh, to finish 11 and one and put themselves in the conversation for the college football playoff. And even, even the big 10 title game, depending on what happens elsewhere in the division. Marco, we know you've got 11 and one as well. Uh, how do you see yeah. it unfolding? Listen, Penn state has the talent. It has the depth to run the table, but you know, I just look at history and, you know, history tells us that, that, that Penn State hasn't been able to beat Ohio State and Michigan in the same season. I mean, the last time they did it was 2008 when they won the Big Ten title. And the last time they did it when Ohio State and Michigan were both ranked was 1994. So you have to go back a long time. And I know there are different coaches involved and whatnot, but that's you, – you, this is – you're getting this opportunity to do it, step up and seize the moment. But I can't predict that they're going to go undefeated until they show me that this version of the team is capable of beating, you know, the two other powerhouse teams in the division. I know it's the last year of the division, but until they, they, they show that they can do it. Uh, I, I just don't know. And, and I, like Daniel, I did not pick which team I thought they would lose to when we initially did this. Uh, but I think I'm coming around kind of the same kind of mindset that I, I think they'll have figured out Michigan after everything that went went down last year. That was kind of an embarrassing game for Penn State. Uh, and I just think at Ohio State, again, I'm going back to what, what kind of history tells us. You know, Penn State's had the lead going into fourth quarters against the Buckeyes. They've had the lead in, in the horseshoe and have not been able to pull it off. And I think that's the one area where they're going to stub their toe. And there's enough sophomores, second-year players across the field in really important roles for this team, obviously quarterback, where you just get the sense that if things go according to plan, this team should be a much more seasoned and a much more viable uh, playoff contender You know, come late October, come early October even, versus where they are on August 31st, just because of the experience you're going to accrue at some really key areas. Uh, but I think, Mark and Daniel, I'm with you. Uh, I got the 11-1, and one and, I, and I think that loss is picked up in Columbus. I'm, I'm envisioning a stinging loss, you know, kind of right in tune with what we've seen take place against Ohio State in some of these past years, a couple of one loss, a couple of one point losses along the way. Um, I, I see something like that that really is a gut check moment uh, for this program. And, and I think they'll respond and in a strong way, work their way to that home matchup against Michigan. And I actually think they'll they'll I'm not going to say beat Michigan by a couple touchdowns, but I think the game at Michigan versus Penn State will be hanging in the balance less than the game at Ohio State. I think that that there's going to be less drama involved with Penn State beating Michigan here in Beaver Stadium than there will be with Ohio State beating Penn State on the road. So, look, if, if that's the only loss, the one game that I want to keep an eye on as a litmus test here, you know, I, I don't have high hopes for what West Virginia is going to be as a football program here. I, I don't know if their coach is going to even make it to Thanksgiving. Udell is week two. That Illinois game, a 11 a.m. local time kickoff uh, in week three, we know the history of this series. A couple of years ago, Penn State 
players should not have to look around much for some extra motivation and incentive heading to Illinois, but just kind of a game where I know that they've had some changes on that coaching staff. They don't look maybe as, as formidable as they were last year, but that Illini matchup I think is going to say something about this team as it's their first road test. I think Illinois is going to try to punch them in the mouth again, again with some of those same ways that we saw back in 2021. So I got an 11-1. My confidence is high. You guys feel the same way. And in my opinion, I think Ohio State is more likely to lose two games than Michigan. So I think you actually, by virtue of that, you might be in a pretty good spot. Now, if everybody ends up with one loss, then, then you're hurt. But if you lost to Ohio State and Ohio State manages to lose to Michigan and either loses to Notre Dame or Wisconsin, both of those games are on the road, if I'm not mistaken, they end up with two losses, then, then you're in a really good spot at 11-1. I don't really understand how you could be left out, although – I can because it's the college football playoff. It happens all the time, and we don't have to worry about it next year. Rejoice in that, Penn State fans. We're not talking about Michigan and Penn, uh, Michigan and Ohio State every single year moving forward in the division, and we're not talking about a four-team college football playoff. It feels like the opportunities are going to expand, but, oh, by the way, the USC Trojans are visiting Beaver Stadium next year, so new challenges loom. Um, let's get into our last little round of conversation here, player predictions, and then we'll talk to Tyler Calvaruso about the recruiting weekend that awaits here on campus. We'll go with most improved. I'm leading off for this one, and I'm going to Kobe King. I talked about it earlier, looking through that depth chart, his ability to really just roll his way up to the top of this thing and, and, and take that Mike linebacker job after taking about 35 40% of the snaps during the regular season last year behind Tyler Elsden. You know, year three right now for a redshirt sophomore. He looks just a different guy, and, and the mentality of it, when you, mar when you marry the fact that he is physically a different dude, you talked about the pescatarian diet and, 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 and trimming his body. You can see it out there as he moves. But what's going on upstairs right now and him being in command of this defense just adds a different dimension. And, and if he can be that kind of – it doesn't have to be the game wrecker like a, a Abdul a Carter or even like a Curtis Jacobs can be. But if you get a little bit more game wrecker material out of your Mike linebacker position than maybe you've had in the last few years, they've had really solid play there at times. They've had average play there at others. If you get some significantly, uh, if you get significantly good, bordering on great play at, at, at Mike linebacker, I think this defensive complexion can change a little bit compared to maybe where we saw it in July. And Daniel, you're up next with uh, your your most improved pick. I went with uh, wide receiver Harrison Wallace the third. Trey, uh, you know we've heard his name out there since behind Keandre Lambert Smith as one of the the two guys that separated themselves at that wide receiver position since the spring um, that's continued into this year. I feel like we've only really heard good things about him. Um, you know, he did flash some of his, his big playability uh, last year. You, know, you go all the way back to that blue white game. He had that great catch in the corner of the end zone uh, against Michigan last year. He got over the top for a 48 yard catch. He averaged 14.3 yards per catch last year. I think he could be a downfield threat for them. Um, and we know that he has that freaky athleticism uh, that can make him a, a tough guard. So, yeah, I think that, you know, going into his third year, he'll have had the chance to get that experience last year, you know, apply that this offseason. And I think that'll put him in a good position to be, you know, a very, very solid target uh, for the Penn State quarterbacks. And Mark, your pick for most improved on this roster. I'll go with a different Wallace, one who's slightly bigger, Caden Wallace. Uh, you know, I, I remember being out at the Rose Bowl and they had uh, all the players available. And, and I think some of us were wondering if if he was a guy who really wanted to come back for his final year. And he made absolutely no bones about it, that he was going to be back and he was going to be one of the team leaders. And I congratulate him because he's a guy who has had ups and downs in his career. 
and we've said it over and over and over. He has the athletic ability. He has the size. He has the talent. He's just not been able to put it together on a consistent level until now, it seems. I mean, he, he did it in the spring, and he's done it throughout camp from everything we've heard, and he's gotten himself to the point where we didn't put an oar there with, uh, with Drew Shelton at the right tackle spot. And Drew Shelton's a hell of a player. We saw it last year. And part of that is because Drew Shelton's very, you know, uh, very versatile and can play on both sides. But if they didn't think uh, Caden Walls was capable of being the guy at right tackle, even if they do rotate some, uh, but the starter, uh, I don't think they would have Drew moving around uh, the way that he is. So I, I think it's really cool to see a guy this late in his career uh, kind of put his nose to the grindstone and, and, and figure things out. But now we have to see it in games because we've seen flashes before and it's just not been consistent week in and week out. And I think it's important for him to do it. I think when you look at that offensive line, as important as Hunter Norzat is, you know what Olu's going to get. As important as the guards are, I think that right tackle spot getting consistent play out of Caden Wallace is going to be vital for that group. All right, offensive MVP picks. And Mark, sticking right with you on the mic. Yeah, and I'll go with my uh, with Nick Singleton, who I think is going to be the player to watch in the uh, in the in the opener. But I, I forgot just... to mention my player to watch. You know, uh, I, Keandre <laughs> Lambert Smith is my big play. Big play, Dre. Is it going to happen? He's been telling us all offseason that he's going to be the number one wide receiver for this team. No one is more confident about that fact. So I just want to see if he can go out and do it because we know how he's a bit mercurial over his career, runs a little hot and cold. It'd be good for him to start hot and to keep it moving. Yeah, but in terms of Nick Singleton, I just think they're in a really good spot with an outstanding offensive line. I think their passing game is going to be really good. You have a, a 1A running back in Katron Allen, that Nick Singleton's not going to have to carry it 30, 35 times a game. And I think that's actually a bonus. I think it's going to allow him to be healthy toward the end of games and toward the end of the season. So I think for those reasons, uh, he is going to be the MVP. And I also think, as I mentioned, that they're going to be able to more effectively use him and Catron both in the passing game than they have than they did last year, which is understandable because that's a, a difficult thing for rookies to do. I would probably lean uh, Nick Singleton if I had that number one pick right now. Um, but I do think Catron Allen and him are going to offset each other in some ways. I mean, if you gave one of these guys the job, the stats would look tremendous. It would probably maybe be right up there with uh, Heisman Trophy contenders. But both of them are going to get dinged a little bit, uh, both incredibly valuable. But I think if, if you're talking about MVP, maybe the value's a little bit diminished because you've got the other guy right there. I'm going to pick Drew Aller. Um, and, and that you know, if I got them going 11-1, and one, that means I think Drew Aller is going to be a really good quarterback for this team. Um, so I, I know I mentioned uh, you know, last episode when we were looking at biggest questions around this team, my biggest question was, will Drew Aller perform like a five-star prospect? So I don't know if he'll do it game in, game out. I don't know if it'll happen, uh, you know, especially early in the season. But I think by the end of this process, he will look the part. I think he'll have that uh, that pedigree and everyone will be talking about him coming out of his sophomore season as maybe the name to know at quarterback in that junior class. And of course, junior class, you're talking about NFL draft eligible players. But between now and that point, I think Drew Aller uh, shows off the accuracy. I think he's a guy who shows that he can handle the rest, which is always the biggest question mark. I think when you talk about any quarterback of any caliber, 
what do they do when, when, when they get beat around a little bit and, and, and when that pocket starts to collapse? I think Drew Aller is well-equipped to deal with it based on everything that we've gathered about him and even seen in some games. And I think by the time he gets through the season, he'll end up at 3,000-plus yards, a really strong touchdown-to-interception ratio. And he's got the supporting cast. Uh, I'm going MVP uh, Drew Aller. I'll, I'll go third, and you know I think that both Aller and Singleton are very strong picks when it comes to you know knowing guys that are going to get stats. But you know, like Tyler said, Katron Allen and Nick Singleton could offset each other, and Katron Allen and Nick Singleton could also offset Drew Aller uh, a little bit. Um, so I went with Olu Fashionu with with the third pick here. Um, you know, I think that overall he is the arguably the best player on this Penn State offense. Could be the best player on the team overall when you talk about you know positional value, potential at the next level, and, and what they've already done. Um, you know, I think having a you know cornerstone left tackle it just makes everything easier across the offensive line. Um, and now you're talking about putting in another first-time starter at left guard in, in JB Nelson. Um, I think that that I think playing next to Olu is a big benefit for him. That's also a massive left side of your offensive line. Uh, when you put the two of them together. So, you know, I think having a cornerstone left tackle is huge uh, for this group. And I think when we look back on the season, having Olu back, the type of performance he has this year will be seen as, as a huge boost to the season. And uh, let's shift over to defensive MVP. And I lead this one off. Uh, and I went with Abdul Carter. I think, you know, I, I just don't see some kind of sophomore slump coming up for Abdul Carter based on the major strides we saw occur during the second half of last season. All the feedback that we've heard over the course of it. I mean, there's no questions really about what Abdul Carter going to look like in year two. It's just expected that he's going to pick up where he left off and accept be a bigger dude, 250 pounds. So I'm going to say Abdul Carter ends up leading this team in tackles. Uh, I think he's got a really good shot to lead this team in tackles for loss. I think he was right around 10 last year as a freshman, and he started seven or eight games. So for a linebacker, that is a tremendous total. And so I'm really curious to see how high he can get there. And what can he do as a blitzer? I mean, that's one area of Micah Parsons' game that unfortunately, because of what happened with the COVID year, we never really got to see him, you know, blossom as, as, a, as a pass rusher. And he's done it in a big way in the NFL. I want to see Abdul Carter get that opportunity with Penn State. I don't think Manny Diaz will hold back in that regard. So I think he's going to stuff the stat sheet coming off a preseason All-American or coming off of a freshman All-American year, vie for All-American status as a sophomore, uh, maybe Big Ten uh, you know, Defensive Player of the Year kind of category. And that's a lot of high praise, but there's just been nothing that we've heard or seen this offseason to dissuade me from going there. Uh, and Daniel, you've got the second pick here at Defensive MVP. I didn't go too far uh, from from where you are. I went Chop Robinson at defensive end. I think having an edge rusher that can be a game wrecker uh, really, really goes a long way. You know, Chop Robinson is going to be fresh as you get into the later portion of these games because he'll be rotating with Denai Dennis Sutton, Zariah Fisher, Amin Vanover. Uh, they're really deep there, which means that when Chop Robinson's out there, he'll be able to go with his fastball. Um, he'll be able to really, really rush. He's playing bigger this year. You know, last year he was in the 240s. His weight is up into the mid 250s now. I'm interested to see what that looks like against the run um, a little bit more. I think last year we felt he was a little bit more of a pass rush specialist. Um, so I think him being able to round out his game this year will really, really pay off. Um, and I think he'll lead this team in sacks. He's in that first round NFL draft conversation. Um, and I think that he'll show why this year. Mark, close us out. 
I'm surprised Daniel didn't pick Olu for for uh, defensive MVP too. We picked him for like everything. <laughs> he's he's a, good pick. Good pick. I, I, I've stopped overthinking everything. <laughs> it's, uh, it's an easy guy to go with. Uh, I'm going to go with uh, uh, Kalen King. Uh, I, I just think, t- for my money, I think he's the best overall player on this team. And I know that's saying a lot because there are a lot of really good players, but he is just such a well-rounded cornerback, a well-rounded defensive back. Is he going to have 21 passes defended the way he did last year? Uh, I don't think so. And I don't think so because I don't think people are going to test him as often. And and that's not necessarily a bad thing because if, if, you, if people are afraid to throw to one side of the field, that is going to narrow the, what Manny Diaz has to do with his other 10 guys. And, and I think that's a really, really, really valuable thing uh, for, for, for a defensive coordinator. Uh, besides being an outstanding cornerback, he's going to be a key player in the nickel, in the prowler, and all those different things. And we've seen the way that this guy has emerged as a leader, a vocal leader, the confidence that he brings. When they're in a, in a huddle in a tight game, you know, the stats are one thing, but having that strong voice. And, I, you know, he's not, he's not the Mike linebacker. He's not going to be calling the plays, but you know that he's going to be a guy who has a loud prominent voice uh in that defensive huddle so to me kalen king uh going to be the first penn state defensive back ever to go in the first round it's going to happen this year just missed it last year but he's my defensive mvp all right good stuff gentlemen uh, about an hour plus there of everything you need to know for week one and beyond here from lines 24 7 we're going to shift over to recruiting in just a second but first let's say goodbye to mark and daniel guys i'll be seeing you in the press box in well, we're getting close. I'll see you there in about two days because three o'clock, 48 hours from now. I know Mark will be there by then. Daniel and I will probably be making our way over, but it's showtime, fellas. Hey, and don't forget, uh, we have a 50% off VIP special going on. So if you want to get on at the VIP level, we've reached uh, record highs multiple times already this year. This is a great time. Coming on for in, on for less than 15 cents per day, going to take you through next year. And you monthly people, it's a better value to come on with one of these deals. Trust me, do the math. You'll figure it out. You're intelligent people. You can upgrade at 50% off. Thanks. Thank you. All right, fellas. Talk to you soon. See ya. Uh, with that VIP subscription, you can get the latest on Penn State football recruiting coverage. And that matters a lot on these home game weeks because those lists are building out. If you've been following our coverage, Tyler Calvaruso, Brian Doan, and our recruiting network at 24-7 Sports have been putting together this week one visitor list for weeks on end now. We've already got a, a quite a list put together for the uh, whiteout game later in September when Iowa comes to town. But our focus is on Saturday right now with Tyler Calvaruso. Hey, Tyler, we, we had to spend a lot of time talking about this Penn State football squad before kickoff. But that's always the other part of the equation with these home games is there's a recruiting spectacle returning to Happy Valley. Yeah, there is. I mean, we're at the point where, you know, we're almost at 48 hours until kickoff and the visitors list is around – believe 60 recruits the bulk of those recruits being uncommitted guys so two big recruiting weekends for penn state this month this weekend and the whiteout and i mean this weekend the way it's shaping up with such a strong regional presence and so many priority targets on both sides of the ball coming to campus it's a big weekend for james franklin and his staff on the recruiting front so interested to see you know some late additions that we have potential late additions to the list coming in but with the current group that we have confirmed right now it's already a huge weekend shaping up in happy valley 
we're going to get to that list and a few names on it in just a moment. A lot of those names are going to be stay behind our paywall for our subscribers. But Tyler, I do want to address a, a, a staple that you'll have during game weeks here, uh, for, at least for the Power Five matchups on Penn State schedule, uh, and that is comparing the roster talent and looking back at how this these, these teams were assembled via the recruiting trail and transfer portal and how these guys were assessed by twenty four seven sports when they came to campus. And I know you did the first side-by-side comparison for this season on Wednesday with West Virginia, Penn State. No surprise to see Penn State favored really across the board at most positions. What stood out to you as you did this? The first exercise of of this kind for 2023. I know you did it uh, for those matchups last year too. There are a couple of things on both sides. You know, West Virginia has a pretty interesting mix. They've got some four stars on the offensive line. They've got a former five-star that Penn State fans are all too familiar with, and Lance Dixon. He's roaming around on their defense. And then also on both sides of the ball on offensive defense, you got a couple of uh, starters, big-time contributors for the Mountaineers who weren't even ranked recruits coming out of high school. So I think that speaks to, you know, the player development that West Virginia has going on over there, being able to get some of those guys to maybe outplay their rankings, you know, being going from an unranked recruit to a starter at a Power 5 program. That's pretty impressive. And from the or, or 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 you could say it's about a lack of depth for a team that won could. five games last year, rather you than I mean, rather than player ways, development, man. right? Yeah, I guess you could because yeah. if you think about it, like they do have some higher ranked recruits. You know, Rodney Gallagher being one of the true freshman Pennsylvania native, they have some higher ranked recruits who are a little bit further down the depth chart. So you know, what is it? Is it is it the player development being able to get these guys into positions where they're able to outplay their ranking? Or, you know, or maybe just the depth not where it needs to be. And maybe some of these guys haven't developed as the staff at West Virginia originally expected. So guys who were maybe further down the depth chart at one point need to jump those guys and step up. So, you know, I feel like there are definitely – it's a double-edged sword in regards to, you know, outplaying recruiting rankings and where guys are in the depth chart in that regard. And, I mean, we saw what West Virginia was last season, right? You know, the numbers kind of speak for themselves. And I think our predictions for this week kind of speak for our, themselves in terms of how we think this matchup is going to play out. Now, from the Penn State side, now I think you have actual hard proof that player development has been top-notch and guys have been able to outplay their rank. I mean, Olafushana was an 88 coming out of high school. Dual Carter was a 90 coming out of high school ratings-wise. And I think every Penn State fan listening to this podcast right now can confidently tell you those two guys are a lot better than that 88 and 90 rating. So it's always interesting. I like doing these you know, these in-depth dives and these number crunching with the rankings, mainly because I, I, it does interest me to see which guys wind up outplaying their rankings, which guys really excel on the development front and take that next level. So this is the first of many of these breakdowns to come. You know, it's going to be a little bit tougher when uh, the level of competition drops off and, you know, the UMSs and the Delawares of the world come to town. But as, as Big Ten play heats up, these breakdowns get really, really interesting because – you know, West Virginia, it's obvious who has the talent advantage in this matchup, but as Penn State starts going through its Big Ten rivals, the playing field really evens out, and you see a lot of comparisons between starters on both teams who are ranked very similarly as recruits, and there are a lot of units on offense and defense, very similar profiles in terms of where these guys were ranked as recruits. So I think, you know, this West Virginia breakdown is kind of a teaser for what we have coming with the rest of these breakdowns as the season moves on.
Yeah, it'll be a fun midweek uh, piece for you to follow at lines247.com during the season, and especially as we get a little bit further into these Big Ten matchups, the kind of shared recruitments that, that these coaching staffs were engaged oh, yeah. in and now players laying on different rosters. So good stuff. It's something that's easier to digest, I think, going over to lines247.com and, and going through uh, yeah. the, your presentation than it is talking here on the podcast. Uh, but we got a list of names here. That's another one that we, we could spend an hour going through oh, these yeah. names, but <laughs> we're going to leave a lot of them for our VIP subscribers at lines247.com. And, and I asked you to send me five. So I know they're a good five. And let's start with DJ McClary and work our way from there. Yes, there, there were. It was honestly tough for me to send you five, man. There were so many top tier names coming to town this weekend. I was like, oh, God, who are the five that I really want to uh, focus <laughs> on? But just McClary, I wanted to start with him because. I remember back when DJ got his offer from Penn State, Manny Diaz pretty much told them, hey, look, we really like you and we're going to recruit the hell out of you. And that has stood true throughout his recruitment. And I mean, now we're at the point where McClary is one of the better linebacker prospects, not only in the region, but really in the nation in that 2025 class. He's got programs from all over the country after him. And rightfully so. I, if you watch his athleticism as a linebacker, it's exactly what Diaz looks for out of his guys. <laughs> it kind of reminds me of Tony Rojas in regard. Their athleticism and their profiles aren't exactly the same, but Rojas was a standout running back in his high school career, Fairfax High in Virginia. McClary, I think he's an even better running back than Rojas mm -hmm. was when he was, and I think he posted about 2,400 yards from scrimmage last year, most of them coming on the ground. So he is one of those elite athletes that you want to get in your recruiting class if you're a Power 5 coaching staff, and Penn State is all over him. Been to campus multiple times, going to be checking out other Big Ten programs during this fall, and I think right now it's, it's definitely still too early to tell where exactly he might be leading, but I think Penn State has positioned itself pretty well between the relationship with Diaz coming along and some of the you know, the Jersey guys on the staff, you know, Khalil Ahmad, those two have a good relationship. He has a good relationship with Gabe Infante as well, so that's a plus. I know Gabe's not a Jersey guy, but that's another one who he has a good relationship with. So I think Penn State has some things working in its favor early in this process. Now, where do things go once McClary continues to hit the road, checks out other Big Ten programs, and his recruitment probably takes more of a national landscape instead of a regional one? We'll see, but I think Penn State has staying power with him. McClary listed 16th overall in the 2025 class of 24-7 sports at linebacker, number 121 nationally among all prospects. And he's the number five player in the state of New Jersey, an area that Penn State really started trying to cultivate and get back to where they needed to be uh, for them being a bit of a feeder state with some of that talent, as we've seen in years past. Uh, New Jersey's going to have a nice presence uh, at Beaver Stadium. McClary's kind of the tip of the iceberg. There's been others, but of course, in-state prospects are going to be in the spotlight on Saturday. And a legacy recruit and Michael Carroll, who picked up a scholarship offer this summer on the camp circuit, six foot five, 290 pounds out of Central Bucks East, a three star interior offensive lineman. Yeah, Carroll is one of the guys I want to circle back on because he's actually got a pretty busy weekend coming up. He's going to be at Penn State on Saturday and then Rutgers on Sunday. So he's going to be active on the visit front this weekend right off the bat. And I think that at this point in Carroll's recruitment, Penn State continues to lead. I think it has that edge over Michigan that I've mentioned. Now, I got to give the Wolverines their due in this situation. Ever since they offered in late July when they got him on campus and they offered while he was in Ann Arbor, they've done a really good job with him. So I think Michigan has made itself a real player for Carroll. But right now, I would still say Penn State holds a lead there. And I think that's one that they definitely have the ability to hang on to. We'll see what comes about as Carroll continues his visit slate. But I think that I think right now, Penn State is the leader. 
And and I think we feel similar about Josh Williams. I know mm -hmm. he's not on the list you sent me, but I'm going to kind of pair him up here with Carroll because both in-state offensive linemen, both in the 2025 class, both impressed on the camp circuit and earned offers this summer while yes. uh, here at camp. Uh, and Josh Williams will be back here. Uh, he didn't get to Lash Bash. He was on a, a family trip internationally at that point. But he's a guy that we've been wondering, when's he getting back after that offer? We've, we've gone over his uh, recruitment uh, quite a bit from a big-time Penn State football family. They were elated to get this, but they also pushed pause because his recruitment has come a long way in a hurry. Has Josh Williams, Boston College, Cal, Nebraska, Virginia, others to offer uh, since the summer. But he'll be back in town as well. Um, going back to the Garden State, one of the top 100 players in the 2025 cycle, Jameer Joseph. Uh, the number one player overall in 24-7 sports New Jersey rankings among the defensive backs coming to town on Saturday. Yeah, you know, hopefully our listeners don't think I just picked a bunch of Jersey guys for this segment because that's where I'm from, man. Oh, Jersey <laughs> Jersey just happened to be – look, we've talked about Jersey a bunch and Penn State wanted to get more back more involved in Jersey. Some The fact of the matter is some of the recent classes in Jersey, high school prospect-wise, haven't been – all that, but this 2025 class, it, it looks like the arrow is pointing up in terms of talent. And Jameer Joseph is one of those guys who has, you know, really high ceiling as a cornerback. I've gotten the chance to talk to Joseph multiple times throughout his recruitment. Again, Penn State in pretty good shape early on. The jersey ties on the staff are helping there. Khalil Amadis helped there. He really likes Penn State's scheme. He likes Terry Smith a lot. He thinks that he could thrive under his watch as a corner. So he's one to keep an eye on. He hasn't been overly active on the visit front throughout his recruitment, but Penn State is a place that Joseph has been multiple times. And I do think that that I think that's noteworthy at this point in his recruitment, right? And, you know, it goes without saying that he's going to get elsewhere. He's going to get more active on the visit front. But Penn State is a place that he has familiarized himself with early in the process, and that's got to be a plus for the Nittany Lions to at least some degree. Yeah, Joseph, at a heavyweight there in the Garden State, St. Joe's Regional in Montvale, uh, and, and and another New Jersey player, Tyler Galvaruso. My goodness, uh, Michael that's Thomas. one, I promise. Yeah, but, but, but he's a good one. I mean, this is another top 100 prospect. Top 20 receiver recruit in the country. He is the number two player in the state of New Jersey. And, uh, you know, it's going to be a busy uh, you know, westbound I-80 uh, for a lot of these recruits coming in uh, from Jersey. And Thomas is a guy that you and I watched a little bit together at the Elite 11 uh, regional here. I, I believe he was at that event yes. in, in State College. And, you know, came away thinking, okay, yeah, it, it checks out. But you've also seen him in game action. Why is Penn State so high on the, uh, the rising junior out of Donovan Catholic in Tom's River? Athleticism's there. Route running ability is there. The hands are there. You know, I, I definitely think he's developed physically as well. And the reason I wanted to bring Thomas up specifically in this segment was because there was a point when, you know, Penn State endured the, the coaching change at wide receiver where it was kind of, you know, up in the air where Thomas was with Penn State because early on in his process, Taylor Stubblefield was really his guy, right? He was the one who offered him. He worked at him with the camp. He loved working with him when he camped last summer. So that was something that Penn State had working in its favor. And then when Marcus Higgins arrived on campus, that was a new relationship that needed to be built. And those two did not meet in person until Thomas made it to State College for that Elite 11 regional. He made it to campus for a quick visit afterward. Those two gelled really well. And I think that put Penn State right back in the running after a point where it was kind of uncertain whether, one, the Nittany Lions would pursue him seriously, or two, whether Thomas would reciprocate the interest. But now I think it's pretty clear where things lie in that regard. And 
it's also interesting and noteworthy that the intel we've received regarding Thomas's recruitment is that it's got a regional feeling to it. It doesn't feel like he's going to stray too far beyond the Northeast. And that kind of leads you to believe it might wind up being one of those Penn State Rutgers battles, right? You know, Rutgers is another school he has visited quite frequently. Frequent might not be the right word, but it's somewhere that he's been multiple times early on. And Penn State has been somewhere that he's been multiple times early on. So if this does stay as it, the trajectory looks like it's going to be, where it winds up being a regional battle, it could be Penn State Rutgers at the end, just like it kind of was for Josiah Brown in the 2024 cycle. So I think uh, this is another opportunity for Thomas to get comfortable with Penn State's offense, how Higgins coaches his receivers. He already likes Penn State in the atmosphere in Happy Valley. So I think for him, this weekend is going to be about watching those Penn State wideouts, watching Higgins on the sideline, and just seeing how he goes about his business on a game day. All right, the fifth and final prospect name that you sent me is the the, the fifth uh, 2025 prospect on the list. They are really in that in that focus right now. And let's just mention, there's going to be a huge presence from the 2024 Penn State class. You're going to have a bunch of commits here on campus. That's always a good opportunity, a great experience for them, especially those who haven't been to the game yet as a commit. It, they're going to have a, an eye-opening time in Happy Valley, but really to get them among dozens of uncommitted targets who span a few different cycles here. But 2025, really uh, is the one that's been in the spotlight for, for a, a couple months now since that summer spree that really built up the 2024 class. And Jeff Exener, tell me if you heard of McDonough before, folks. Uh, yeah, uh, P.J. Mustafer, Devon Ellis, Curtis Jacobs, Denied Dennis Sutton, Mason Robinson, who's a freshman here at Penn State at defensive end. All of them uh, got it going at the McDonough School down in Maryland. And Jeff Exener, Jr., uh, six foot two, 220-pound athlete of the four-star variety in the 2025 cycle, is among guests coming up from that school this Saturday. What do we make of Jeff Exner as a prospect? As I said, he's got that athlete label. And what do we make of his recruitment? Because Penn State hasn't swung and missed when it comes to McDonough when they really want guys. Yeah, I like that you laid out that all the McDonough school guys were on the defense side of the ball because that kind of sets me up perfectly here. Exeter, early in his recruitment, was viewed primarily as an edge prospect. Now, there's definitely still that element to it, but as time has gone on and he's developed physically, I mean, there's been and what he's accomplished on the camp circuit as well and on seven-on-sevens, there's been talk about him playing wide, you know, wide receiver, maybe tight end at the next level. So he right now, at this point, I'd say he is a true athlete. Projection-wise, I think uh, it depends, you know, what he decides that he wants to do at the next level and what a select school decides and wants to prioritize him at the next level. I think he can get the job done at a Power 5 level on both sides of the ball, and he is really impressed athletically as wide receiver tight end. So that pass-catching ability is pretty there. And I think really regardless of what happens position-wise, I think Penn State is in a pretty good spot early on. Again, you mentioned the relationships at McDonough and the trust of the McDonough staff has in the Penn State staff to develop its guys and, you know, treat them like family in State College. That's something that has been a big selling point for Penn State whenever it recruits at McDonough. And I think Exner has given the Nittany Lions a pretty solid look. But again, I think it, where he falls on the board at the end of the day, it'll come down to position. And I think that's going to be a really, really interesting element in this recruitment. You know, it's similar to a couple that we've covered recently with guys deciding where they want to play on the next level because they had the capability to play on either side of the ball at the next level. Exeter Jr. could add him to the list as another one of those guys. 
And of course, Kenny Sanders, who serves as the director of player personnel uh, here at Penn State, has ties uh, to the McDonough School yes. as well. So uh, a lot working in your favor if Penn State really wants to go get somebody from that school. And it sounds like Jeff Exner is maybe next up on that list. They'll get a chance to take the next step in his recruitment with Penn State here on Saturday. Look, there's some quarterbacks coming to town. There's a ton. There are dozens of guys with Penn State offers. Uh, who haven't made up their mind. Some of them are only sophomores or juniors, but they're going to be on campus. You've been writing about it. Brian Doan has been weighing in a bunch at lines247.com, and you just know that coming out of Saturday, you'll have Tyler Calvaruzzo, you'll have Brian Doan. You know Steve Wolfong is going to jump on the action as well as he always does. So Saturday night into Sunday, yes, we'll have a ton of post-game coverage of whatever happens between Penn State and West Virginia, but each and every week during these home games, make sure you're locked into what Tyler Calvaruzzo and our recruiting crew are accomplishing in the 48 hours or so after these games end because there's so much to learn and there's a lot of conversations to be had and these guys get after it. So Tyler, we appreciate that. We, we know we're all in full sprint mode now with the season going on. And I know that you're always in full sprint mode with the recruiting trail. Uh, so we look forward to your coverage this weekend. Thanks, man. Like Mark said, now's the best time. 50% off. Join. I'll talk to you soon. Yep. All right. That's going to do it for this episode. We packed about an hour and a half of content into this podcast. The final one of what is officially the end of the offseason now. Um, I guess you could say the preseason accomplished that, but it is done. We're talking, speculating about what Penn State might look like, which players could be good this year. We're going to find out for sure, and we're going to start to really peel back some layers of this Penn State football program that has college football playoff ambitions in a big way come Saturday, 730. I hope you'll join us at lines247.com for our coverage throughout this weekend. And, of course, on late Saturday night or when you get up on Sunday, tune in for our post-game podcast. Daniel Gallon and I will be fresh out of Beaver Stadium and bringing you the insight from what we saw and heard from players and coaches in the post-game media session after this one goes final. For now, stepping aside, ready to regroup and get ready for kickoff, I'm Tyler Donahue. Big thanks to my colleagues Daniel Gallon, Mark Brennan, and Tyler Calvaruso for hopping on this episode. We'll be back next week uh, with Monday episode, with a Tuesday episode, and a Thursday episode. So we are ramping things up here on the Lions 24-7 podcast. We'll talk to you real soon. Thanks, as always, for listening.